What's up, everybody? Billy Ray Mitchell from the Sons of Saturday reporting live from Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Happy Wednesday. It is hump day. This week has felt like the longest week of all time, but we're here to pick you up with a great interview that we just recorded with David Teal. David Teal is one of the most iconic sports writers in the state of Virginia. Uh, he's done an absolutely incredible job, so uh, we got an interview there coming up here in a few minutes. But first... Sons of Saturday is brought to you and powered by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy is your go-to shop. Stop shop for all things pharmaceutical needs, household needs, friendship needs, anything that you need. You can get your game day pins down there, your uh, campus-only t-shirts. Check it out right there on Main Street. David Teal is just the latest in a great stretch that we've had in terms of podcasts going from the most recent back. We just recorded with Coach Pry. That went out on August 1st. Dax Hollifield before then. Cardinals reliever Packy Naughton before then. Whit Babcock before that. And then Bill Roth. So if you haven't checked those out, make sure that you go ahead and check out those interviews. We have some awesome ones coming up. We just recorded with Rock Carmichael yesterday and Pat recorded with Matei earlier this week. So we got some awesome, awesome stuff headed your way. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to David Teal. But first, here is the 555. What's up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse, and I'm coming to you at 2 p.m. Eastern time from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Billy Ray, we talked about it. I'm turning into a New Englander in the summer. Billy Ray, we have a very special guest on today. It is 14-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year, David Teal of the Richmond Times Dispatch. David Teal is a legendary sports writer in the Commonwealth of Virginia, covering Virginia Tech, UVA, ACC sports, collegiate sports, pretty much everything that happens around these parts. He is currently the co-host of the Teal and Barber podcast, along with fellow Richmond Times dispatch writer Mike Barber, and doing a phenomenal job covering the coaching transition of both the Hokies and the Hoos this summer. David, first off, I have to ask you as a Richmonder myself, how are you enjoying it? I'm really enjoying it. I'm very grateful to the Times Dispatch for uh, picking me off the waiver wire a few years back. My question to you is, New England during the summer, when's the next clam bake up there? (laughs) Well, see, I'm not a huge clam fan. I'm more of a lobster guy. But uh, yesterday, we were lucky enough to go out fishing, caught some fish and put them on the grill last night and uh, had some delicious striped bass tacos. So uh, you can't beat the seafood up here. No, sir. Yeah, so I wanted to check in with you, uh, David. I know that you had the opportunity to uh, head down to ACC Media Day. Wanted to get your thoughts on that, um, who you connected with, and kind of your biggest takeaways from that time. Well, guys, to no one's surprise, the primary topic was the future, not only of the ACC, but college football at large. And that was the primary theme of Jim Phillips' press conference to to, to kick off the event. 
And it was the primary theme as I sat with him for, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes later that afternoon. A lot of questions, not a whole lot of answers. Again, to, to, to really no one's surprise, but these are fascinating times in college athletics. So it's a little interesting, right? Because you have very different conversations with coaches than you have with members of the athletic department. So uh, if you ask a coach, that's any coach, it's going to be, you know, we just got to go out there and compete. We got the ACC. We played a very high level and we're excited to compete in the ACC. And then athletic directors have to walk this very fine line of talking about how great the ACC is without closing the door for negotiations moving forward. So as you're kind of playing this game and trying to get as much information out of somebody as you can, um, what have you taken away from it that isn't just conjecture and how people are actually feeling? Are people freaking out internally in these programs as much as people may be externally? I think some are freaking out. It, I, I think the freak out factor now is less than it was 24 to 48 hours after the USC UCLA news. I mean, I was overseas on vacation, and when I checked my phone, I started freaking out. <laughs> and then after a while, you know, the, the the blood pressure and the heart rate came down a little bit. But yes, there is there is angst involved, and you know, we here in the Commonwealth know that fine line. I mean, Virginia Tech and the Big East were suing the ACC back in two thousand three before the Hokies flipped and said, oh, sure, we'll go to the ACC. And no one blames them for that. And Mike Trangizi, then the commissioner of the Big East, understood it. That's just how these things work. But I think, Billy, my, my primary takeaway to date, and it can always change, is that right now, I think the ACC is more stable than most would believe in large measure, because that grant of rights, one, and number two, I'm not convinced that either the Big Ten or the SEC is clamoring for any ACC school right now. With all that, and again, I know there's only so much that we can say about it. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming football season. Um, it's kind of interesting trying to separate this conversation from the upcoming football season, but it is August. Uh, Virginia Tech started their fall camp on the 2nd yesterday. They reported on the 1st, and here we are on the 3rd, so it's off and running. And uh, as every day goes by, I get myself more excited for football season. A um, little bit later this year than it is normally. But Sam, why don't you kick it off with the uh, football-related questions coming up in this season? Yeah, it's always nice to talk about the, a game being played in between white lines instead of stuff happening in, in Greensboro or Charlotte or Birmingham, Alabama, or something like that. Let's take it back a few months to December. Virginia Tech announces officially that Brent Fry, defensive coordinator from Penn State, is going to be hired at Virginia Tech. What was the first thing you thought when you saw that news? Penn State defensive coordinator. Pedigree, right? Knows what big-time football is like. Knows what big-time football at Virginia Tech is like. I mean, you, you read the bio. Now, I don't pretend to remember Brent Pry as graduate assistant coach at Virginia Tech back in 1995, 96. 
But as soon as you read that, you go, okay, he was, you know, feet on the ground when the Hokies won their first Big East championship, went to the Sugar Bowl, upset Texas. You know, the really the benchmark season that propelled Frank Beamer's program to, to national relevance. So those were the immediate takeaways. And the first phone call I made was to Ricky Ronnie, the head coach at Old Dominion, who was the offensive coordinator at Penn State for most of the time that Pry was the defensive coordinator. So Ricky was able to, you know, give me some background on Brennan. And the most prescient thing he said was, you're going to read in his bio that he was born in Pennsylvania. But trust me, that guy is as Southern as it gets. And the minute I heard Brent Pry, I was like, oh, wow, Ronnie was right. He definitely has some Southern flair to him. I think, you know, culturally he fits in great with Virginia Tech. And if you look at, you know, Penn State and Virginia Tech on a uh, university standpoint, mm-hmm. they're very similar. Sure. So I, I think coming from that Penn State background, coming to a similar school to Virginia Tech um, is going to make the transition maybe a little bit more seamless uh, for he and his family. There was another coaching change made this offseason a few miles up north on 81 North in Charlottesville. And you've been covering Virginia and Virginia Tech's both of their coaching transitions this offseason. And interestingly enough, you were doing that as well in 2016 when Justin Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall were both brought to their respective programs. How are the coaching hires at UVA and Virginia Tech for this coaching cycle uh, similar, but maybe a little bit different as well? What's striking to me, Sam, is that, you know, back in 2016, both the Hokies and Cavaliers hired sitting head coaches. This go around, both hired rookie head coaches and they were part of a national trend where you saw the hiring at the at the power five level of more first-time head coaches. And we saw it elsewhere in the ACC with Duke and Mike Elko and other places around the country. So that was the first thing that, that I found interesting that you know power five programs seem more willing to, to take a chance on someone if they if they identify them as a fit and such so that that to me was uh, the biggest similarity you know the the differences are you know Tony Elliott has more ACC knowledge certainly having you know played at Clemson and then having worked there under Dabo for 11 seasons six championships two natties uh, so he he's kind of got that uh, background that Brent Pride does not. I know this is a difficult question, and it's 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 a buzzword that kind of drives me crazy. But I think it's I think it's a very fair question, given how a lot of schools are angling themselves for the future um, and kind of the overall standing of the ACC right now. How do you think that Virginia Tech and Virginia are going to? define success when you look at the situation that Virginia Tech is in the situation that the University of Virginia is in um, with these two coaches how do you think that they will define success 
put it this way. If Virginia averaged seven wins a year for the next five seasons, I think they'd be pretty happy in Charlottesville. If the Hokies averaged seven a year for the next five seasons, they might be marching with torches and pitchforks on Lane Stadium. I think that's about the best way that you could put it. That's a pretty fair assumption, yeah. Well, then another question would be, I look at these jobs as two very different definitions of a rebuild. I think UVA has achieved heights over the last three or four years that honestly a lot of people probably weren't expecting. I certainly wasn't expecting Bronco Mendenhall to take UVA to represent the Atlanta, uh, the Coastal in the ACC championship, going and playing Florida in a big-time bowl game. Um, so there's that, and then Virginia has a ton of returning talent. And then Virginia Tech is in a situation where there's not as much returning talent. A couple of down years here. Um, what do you think in the short term is a realistic expectation for both programs? I think bowl eligibility this season would be a victory for both. I, I really do. Not that the Coastal is loaded by, by any stretch, but I just see glaring voids in in both rosters. Yes, Virginia has skilled people that most programs, maybe even around the country, would envy in Brennan Armstrong and that core of receivers. But who's going to run the football? More important, who's going to block? They don't have a single starter returning up front. And then with the Hokies, you know, is is Grant Wells – that, that guy under center, we, we, we certainly don't know. Now, who's going to emerge at running back? Are there any effective edge rushers that can put pressure on, on opposing quarterbacks? You know, can Dax Hollifield, you know, do better in space? And can the rest of the linebacking core be better? You know, lots of questions for, for both, both programs this season. So I think six and six, seven and five. Uh, you'd have to be pleased. Um, Dave, you've been around some spring practices in the spring game. Um, there have been some openings to see drills and things like that for a while. You've spoken to Coach Pry at both media days and at press conferences. Do you really think that there's a quarterback competition in Blacksburg still, or is this Grant Wells' job? Because I, I'm going to be honest, sometimes I forget that he hasn't been named the, the starting quarterback for this season. No, I agree. Uh, I think we'd all be shocked if, if he's not the guy down here in, in, in Norfolk on, what is it, September 2nd against Old Dominion. It's, it's interesting, guys. There are 13 returning quarterbacks in the bowl subdivision that threw for or that averaged at least 270 yards passing per game last season. Five of them are in the ACC. Tyler Van Dyke, Brennan Armstrong, Devin Leary, Sam Hartman, and Grant Wells might, su- might, might surprise some people. Care to guess the last time Virginia Tech averaged 270 yards a game passing? 
I'm gonna. Uh, it wasn't Tyrod, I would assume, because they did not throw that much with Tyrod. Don Strzok, 1972. It's been my, that long. Oh, man. My yeah. grandfather would love that answer. He <laughs> thinks that Don Strzok was the best quarterback to ever wear orange and maroon. <laughs> he, he he was pretty darn good. Now, I, I full disclosure, I did not cover him. I'm not that old. <laughs> I do that. This is a perfect opportunity to plug it because I was I was waiting for you to ask Sam and I, and I know Sam and I had listened to your podcast with Mike and uh, Coach Pry. So if you haven't yet, check out uh, the incredible work that um, that David and Mike had on their podcast. We'll go ahead and link this in the article. Uh, but Sam, I know you had one more question on the season. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask real quick um, about that quarterback competition with Justin Fuente. That was kind of because a, he wasn't quite sure what the talent level was of some guys and B, there were some kind of lingering injuries. You look at like Josh Jackson and Hendon Hooker kind of dealt with injuries. Um, and then Ryan Willis was a guy who was, good at practice, but maybe hadn't shown it much in a game when he was at Kansas before he transitioned to Virginia Tech. Why do you think this quarterback competition has maybe been drawn out into fall camp? Well, I don't know that it's been drawn out. I just, I think publicly perhaps it's been drawn out, but as, but as Brad Glenn told Andy Bitter and Mike Nizelik, we pretty much know who the guy is. <laughs> this is not a, a great mystery and barring injury or just really poor performance from Grant Wells in the preseason, he's going to be the guy. The question becomes, you know, the weapons around him and ball security because ball security was an issue at Marshall. I think he threw 22 picks over the last two years, including 13 last season. David, you asked this question to Coach Pry, um, and he gave the answer that any coach would give, uh, is if you think that you needed something to help you be successful moving forward, what do you think that would be? So I want to ask you, as someone who's followed the program for a very long time, you have insight into other programs, what do you think is something that Virginia Tech as an athletic department or a university is lacking or needs to improve upon to see gain success on the football field? It's a great question, and and I think we'll have clarity with that as 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 the Pry administration moves along because we we really don't have a a body of evidence. You know, facilities wise, they they continue to enhance. Are are they the absolute best? No, but they don't need to be the absolute best. So I, I don't think their Virginia Tech is lacking there. Would a standalone football complex help? Maybe, but I'm, I'm not convinced. Would just throwing more money to, to have more bodies in the office in, in, in the form of recruiting staff and analysts? Don't know yet. Brent Pry says he's got what he needs at present to the point where he told Mike and me that at Penn State, he thought it was overcrowded, that they had too many people. And you know, that, that can be a problem, too. And, and Mac Brown alluded to that as well during the, the ACC kickoff when he was talking about kind of the evolution 
and mushrooming of recruiting staffs and such. He, he said, I'm the, you know, I'm the CEO, yes, but I want to know everybody's name. And if you start, and I want to know their families. And if you start just flooding the office, I'm I'm gonna lose that personal touch, that personal connection that he believes, and I agree, is essential to a smooth running organization. You know, this isn't a question as much as it, as much as it is an observation. Um, it, it's funny how you know the conversations. If you read uh, quotes that come out from high school athletes, whether they're going, they're going to Virginia Tech or going to a different school, the conversation has shifted a lot from how did my family feel about it, what majors do they offer, and do they align, and what even do their facilities look like. Uh, and unfortunately, it seems like NIL has completely changed that to where. Yeah. Facilities, I agree with you. I don't think that having a standalone facility or even the nicest indoor or the nicest weight room is something that is going to get you a win or get you someone to sign. It may get someone to visit, but I don't think that that's any more going to be a differentiating factor for these kids. No, I I, I agree with you. And, and NIL is front and center for everyone right now. Pry talked about. He talked about it. He's talked about it with you guys, with us, with everyone. He's he seems content with where Virginia Tech is now, but but understands that much like facilities, if you're standing still, you're falling behind. Yep. So that that needs to continue to grow, and the the problem or the issue gets to be, what are the standards? What are the guidelines? Right now, there really are none, but are some coming? Probably. So your growth has to be very calculated because you don't want to have to pull back either when guidelines or guardrails appear. It's an interesting conversation. I was talking to another coach in another program, and it's turned into from you're going from recruiting kids to give you four years to now you're recruiting kids to trust you for the next semester. Uh, and then depending on, depending on how well they're doing, you could be de-recruiting kids. You could be recruiting kids at other schools. It's, it's a wild, wild, wild situation. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Moving on from, uh, from college football, uh, before we get into the quick hitter section, I just wanted to ask you, um, we have a lot of young writers that, uh, that come and work for us, whether they're in school, whether they're interning with us, or um, whether they're older and just have the itch to write about Virginia Tech. So uh, do you have a message for anyone that is a young writer or starting writing a little bit later, and they're looking to enter the sports journalism field? Just a little, uh, little advice if somebody asked you for some. Be as well-rounded as you can be. If if you want to write, I mean, that was always my my wheelhouse. I have a no face for television. I have no voice for radio. But I felt like I could string some pronouns and nouns and verbs together into a coherent sentence. But still, you have to be versatile. You have to be able to take this iPhone and snap a video and produce it. You need to be comfortable in a podcast situation, production, uh, headlines, web design, photo crop, all, all those things. 
yes, you can have certain strengths and weaknesses, but you have to make yourself as well-rounded as possible because those are the demands of the job now. Sports media has become, like many industries, so lean, so competitive that publications, websites, whatever the outlet, they can't afford just to have people who do X. They need people who can do X, Y, and Z. Maybe they're better at X, but they darn well better be competent at Y and Z. Appreciate that. One of the absolute best in the business, and we're about to have some fun. This is the, uh, it's, we call it rapid fire, but we switched it up to quick hitters this week. So these are uh, quick hitters, but feel free to expand if you'd like. Uh, first one I have is, I was listening to a podcast uh, with Ryan Rossello and Bob Ryan. Bob oh. Ryan, New England, a New England legend up here. And he was talking about some of the favorite one-line quotes uh, that he ever got. And I think he mentioned uh, that he was interviewing Bill Russell and, and he was talking about, you know, how much did you, are you enjoying the parade? And he said, this is just part of the, uh, this isn't even part of the journey to a championship. It's just checking the box off of getting something as a job well done. And he's like, that is my favorite quote that I ever got in my career. Is there a quote that stands out to you as your favorite quote in your career that you received? It's not really a quote, but I, I love Coach Beamer mm-hmm. and just his his phrasings, out of whack, dangerous crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones I'll always remember. And then if you're if you're looking for the, the full quote. Seth Greenberg's certifiably insane. If you don't think the Hokies belong in the NCAA tournament, will always resonate. <laughs> we were just talking to Rod Carmichael yesterday about uh, about Coach Beamer and his. I don't. I don't know if anybody has better quirks than he does. Anytime something isn't going right, you get the an actual vocalized grrr out of him sometimes. So, um, man, what a what a what an amazing human being. Um, here's another one. Who wins the Atlantic this year? The Atlantic is absolutely stacked. If you had to say someone that isn't Clemson wins the Atlantic, who wins it? Oh, if it's not Clemson, because yeah. I pick Clemson. I, I wouldn't I even let you out that easy. Come on. Yeah, no, I, I, I pick Clemson. <laughs> then, then NC State. Okay, NC uh, State. And, and I'll probably even live to regret that because every season we all undersell Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. We, we, we just do, and it's, I guess it's in our DNA. But love Leary, really like the defense that the Wolfpack returns, especially you know, that linebacking crew may be among the best in the country, led by Drake Thomas. And I just think that NC State, you know, they've they've got to go to Death Valley. Mm-hmm. But if if they could somehow get that one and they should be confident, and they they beat Clemson last season in Raleigh in double overtime. And that's without mentioning, uh, for those of you that follow along with this kind of stuff, in terms of the ACC in general, the top six spots are are fairly predictable. Number one, Clemson in terms of recruiting, Miami, North Carolina, Florida State. Number five is Georgia Tech. And number six is NC State uh, in terms of players on their roster, in terms of recruiting. So um, I'm, uh, maybe this is the year that they finally stop talking about the head coach of NC State being on the hot seat because he has done a very good job on the recruiting trail and lately uh, on the football field as well. 1979 is the last time NC State won an ACC championship. 
It's hard to believe. It really is. And you know what? It might actually, uh, a sneaky game for NC State this year will be October 27th, Thursday night, hosting Virginia Tech. Uh, that will be a sneaky game off a short week. Uh, you know, it should be a pretty great crowd down there in Raleigh, but there will be a lot of Hokies. That's for sure. That's uh, that is circle on the count. I can't wait for that night. They should, Tech and NC State should play every year, but that's just my opinion on that. Uh, two teams that do play every year, and a game that will probably mean it might determine which team goes to a bowl game, which team doesn't. Who wins the Commonwealth Cup this year? Guys, here's my theory on the Tech-UVA game. Last season was the worst Virginia Tech team since, what, early 90s, like 30 years. That interim head coach, coach had been fired. They got guys hurt. And they still go into Charlottesville and beat a Virginia team with one of the best quarterbacks in program history. Virginia hasn't won in Lane Stadium since 1998 when Aaron Brooks was the quarterback. I, Until I see it, I'm not believing it. So I'll take Virginia Tech. What do you think is the biggest question mark for Virginia Tech this year? You said that quarterback is not as much of a question mark. So what, what would you say is the biggest question mark for Virginia Tech? Well, Brent Pry wants to run the football. Can they? And if so, who will be that? Is it Malachi Thomas? Is it Jalen Holston? Is it somebody we're not thinking of? Uh, that, that to me, uh, because if they can run the football, then that makes Wells better and it eases the pressure on the defense. Couldn't agree with you more. I got to say, I got to say a couple of guys that I would look out for uh, this upcoming year, Chance Black, and who knows what we're going to get out of Kenji Christian as well. He's a a big body guy, but the difference of the body types for the backs that we have also is extremely interesting with a third down guy like Jalen Holston. And I'm excited to see what Malachi Thomas just looks like because watching him in the throwback jerseys, he looked like a, a kid out. I didn't play like a kid that was still in high school, but he kind of looked like a kid still in high school. So I'm excited to see what, uh, what he, how much weight and how his body has changed over the course of the year. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting. David, one thing I've always admired about you and in, in the few press conferences that I've been in that you've actually been in. Um, I was very out of place in those especially, but when you ask a question to some of these football guys, these head coaches, these defensive coordinators, they always seem the second you ask the question to open up immediately and give you all sorts of details about it. And that was very evident in your, your conversation with Brent Pry a few weeks ago. How do you do that? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Um, Preparation, to to me, is a key. I've always felt like an interviewee, the subject, can spot a fraud from a mile away. And you're a fraud if you haven't done your homework and you ask something that shows that. And nothing puts off a source more than to think this person didn't take the time to educate themselves or be interested enough 
in the subject at hand to, to know it and to ask intelligent questions. Now, hey, after a game, do we all ask ill-informed questions? Sure. I raise my hand, guilty as charged, have done it many times. But in, in other settings, my gosh, you have to be prepared and, and you know have a list of questions and then listen. Listen to what they say so you can follow up. You know, listen to others' questions and what the person has or how the person has responded. And maybe you can follow up and draw something even more out of it. What about a writing routine? So David Teal sits down, he's got to write. Maybe he's got a little bit of writer's block. Maybe he pours himself a specific tea when he sits down. We always ask folks about their game day routine. What is David Teal's I gotta get a I gotta get a column out routine? I work from home and I, I have I have a little office, which is where I'm sitting now. I mean, writer's block, I I just I get up and I and I move around. And when I do interviews, I pace. I'm just walking all over the hallway and um, such. But, you know, I don't just sit at the keyboard and force it. I'll get up, move around. And I, I often find that going back through the interview notes, which I already have on the screen before I start to write, that that helps me. And you, you kind of find that what we would call a money quote. You say, okay, that's the guts of this story. How can I get there in the quickest way possible to hook the reader and then proceed? Jim, you've been in Richmond for a bit now. We have a lot of Hokies in the capital city. What's your favorite restaurant in Richmond? Well, I'm not even sure if it's still there because it's been a while. I was always a fan of Millie's Diner. Mm -hmm. Yep. And just just loved it. And now I am very jazzed. Now, I haven't been yet, but Cabo has opened the place <laughs> in, in, in Richmond because Cabo is my go-to in Blacksburg. It's I got a good thing racing in on this call. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. So the first David, the first time that we met uh, and and said hello and exchanged pleasantries was at Cabo Fish Taco in Blacksburg. That was one of not meeting you, but that time of my life was one of the lowest points ever. I had just driven back from California. <laughs> my truck broke down in Shelby, North Carolina, of all places. So I had to take everything out of my truck. It was on the side of the road, put it in a U-Haul. And I literally drove to Cabo in my U-Haul uh, to meet Lays for uh, to meet Lays for lunch that day. So it was, that was uh, that was where I was at this past December. Truck breaks down, all my belongings from years and years and years um, in my U-Haul and just trying to figure out what's next. We got it figured out. So I'm glad that all uh, glad that all worked out. Did that turn into a liquid lunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it did. It absolutely turned into a liquid lunch. Really? This this sounds like a country song, like an old 80s country song. My, my truck broke down. I, you, I hitchhiked my way to a bar. Sam, my life, my life in the last year and a half would be a fantastic country song or 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 a satire, either one. You could you could take it in either direction. Um David Teal, what's your favorite music? What do you listen to? Speaking of country music. Well, I, I do listen to some country. My, my wife loves country. And so she's kind of, 
uh, drawn me in there. You know, I'm I'm older than than most, so I still gravitate to my old Motown and such, and and kind of soul music. You know, if if you fire up the Temptations for me or Earth, Wind, and Fire, I am a very happy camper. Uh, you know, old school bar bands like uh, Skip Castro, the Nighthawks, Billy Price and the Keystone Rhythm Band, the Uptown Rhythm Kings. Uh, give me some old uh, Curtis Mayfield, Move On Up, Superfly. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. What about, uh, so I've always said, and this has not, to preface this, so nobody takes this as a soundbite. This is not asking what team is your favorite. This is not asking you right. anything along that. But there are times where you watch teams. For example, I'm a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. I loved following the uh, the Nationals team that came all the way back and won the World Series. Sure. As a Virginia Tech fan, as a Virginia Tech fan, I really admired the Tony Bennett team that came back after losing to uh, Wichita State and winning the national championship. Um, so I'm curious, do you have a favorite athlete or a favorite couple of teams that you've had the opportunity to cover over your career? Oh, teams to cover? Yes. Yeah, so not not necessarily I like covering this team. I liked covering this team this year. Oh, well, yes. The, the redemption story of Virginia basketball in 2019 was irresistible. I mean, nationally, locally, regionally, you know, you just tried to get out of the way and let that thing happen and breathe. It was remarkable. And you know, Virginia Tech in 1999, the, you know, the run to the to the national championship game. And the reason those teams become such a privilege to chronicle and cover is because they engage your audience. And then that engages your audience with you. I mean, you can sense the readership interest and that makes it even more enjoyable. I mean, none of us who were there can forget the Morgantown miracle. I mean, come on. And then those of us who, you know, the the Mamadi Diakite off the, the Kihei Clark assist to force overtime against Purdue in the Elite Eight. Um, those are those are indelible moments where you just pinch yourself and say, how stupid lucky am I to be sitting here watching this and then get to write about it? I have a really quick aside on that. So that UVA basketball team, very, very talented, very well coached. We knew they were poised for another run uh, at a national title that season in 2019. The 99 Tech team, maybe kind of came out of nowhere. Sure. Michael Vick knew he was a talent, but never really played collegially. Was Virginia Tech coming out of nowhere that season? Did that add a little bit of intrigue, I guess, to, to you as a local slash regional sports writer, whereas UVA, uh, people were picking them to win the national title that season? Sure did, because – not only that, I mean, Virginia Tech was questioned nationally, and this was back in the BCS era. Were the Hokies going to crack that top two and get that opportunity to, to reach the national championship game in New Orleans? And, oh, by the way, I was working for the Newport News newspaper, and what's Michael Vick's hometown? That even, you know, that, that even added to it. 
So last segment that we have here, Letters from the Lunch Pail. Letters from the Lunch Pail are brought to you by Sharkies, local right in Blacksburg, Virginia. Get on down and go to where good friends go. Uh, the first question comes from a young and up-and-coming uh, sports writer and play-by-play guy who's we're, we're extremely proud of him in the Virginia Tech community, Evan Hughes. Oh, you should be proud of him. We absolutely are very proud of this young man. Uh, he says, David, thanks for coming on the show. You continue to set the bar for so many in this profession. Thank you for all that you do. Do you remember the first story that you ever wrote when you were first started covering Virginia Tech? And who would have been some of those people quoted in that article? It would probably, I came to, to the Daily, or I went to the Daily Press in 1984. So I'm guessing it would have been Bill Dooley. And that that team. I didn't cover the Tech UVA game that season, but I did cover some Tech games. One, one of the one of the great, you know, you you were asking earlier about memorable quotes. Bill Dooley, who could mangle a name like no one else. Virginia had two running backs, Howard Petty and Barry Word. And Howard Petty's nickname was Beaver. And <laughs> Bill Dooley said, they got Ward and the Beaver. <laughs> okay, is Tony Dow and Barbara Billingsley and Hugh Beaumont and Jerry Mathers going to come out of the woodwork now? It was, it, it was, it was classic. <laughs> oh, man. You're uh, that, that was an incredible um, little history lesson. That 1984 team went 8-4 uh, as an independent. Uh, tough season, losses to West Virginia and Virginia. Uh, tough season for, for the Hokies, but 8-4, not bad. This one comes from Andrew Schumate, or, or Schumate. I apologize, Andrew, if I'm butchering your last name. Uh, we've talked about this a little with conference realignment. We don't have to go too deep into it, but – how do Virginia Tech and other schools in the ACC fit into that conference realignment conversation? And I'll add a little bit onto this because we talked about it earlier. How do non-football sports play into this conversation? And how does that impact some of the smaller programs in the Commonwealth, uh, JMU who just moved up to the FBS, and then you know Richmond, VMI, the Old Dominion, William & Mary, et cetera? Well, unfortunately, as we saw with Southern California and UCLA, sports other than football don't factor <laughs> into realignment decisions. These are strictly football, television revenue, branding, market share. That's what drives all of this. Where Virginia and Virginia Tech fit, you know, hypothetically, if we were moving toward two mega conferences, which I'm not convinced that we are, but if that were the case, and I think culturally it's fairly obvious that Virginia fits better in the Big Ten and Virginia Tech fits better in the SEC. That's, I mean, that's hardly a revelation. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I, <laughs> I, th- I swear, I think people like are just forgetting what happened with the big uh, with the Big East a couple of years ago. Everybody loved the Big East. The Big East basketball product was 
incredible. It's what the ACC is now. And football is the reason that schools like uh, West Virginia and schools like Pittsburgh and eventually Virginia Tech, they all left the big the Big East. So, you know, that you really don't have to look much further than what are the football programs? What is the revenue? Basketball is not being factored in here. So a lot of ACC people are kind of leaning on the on the basketball end of things to to that that doesn't factor in as far as I'm concerned for for these types of conversations. No, basketball generates about 20 percent of conference revenue. Brett Smith, he says, where do you think that the recruiting hotbed This is a million dollar question. Where do you think the recruiting hotbed in Virginia is now? It used to be the 757, but now it seems to be more located in the 804 Northern Virginia area. I think he's I think he's spot on. It, it seems to me now I, I don't follow recruiting as closely as as many do. That's full disclosure. But all I have to do is look at the commitment lists and the rankings and 757 is not what it was. And it hasn't been really for for several years. And how many commitments do the Hokies have right now for 23 from Richmond area kids? I know they have nine in state. I think at least a handful of them. More than we've had over the past few years, for sure. Yeah. A couple, three from Highland Springs, one from Trinity Episcopal. Uh, So to me, absolutely, it's the 804. So let's let's end this on one quick story quick memory to leave the people with. This has been awesome, by the way. Can you give us one of your best memories from a press conference that you've had back in the day at Virginia Tech, whether it be, you know, during the Beamer era, maybe even back to the the Dooley era? Wow. A press conference. Hmm. Can we expand that? Expand that to any type of post-game interaction, I think. Any, well, open the press box in Lane, even. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. To, to me, the the, the post game scene after Virginia Tech beat Boston College to complete the perfect regular season in '99, and the Sugar Cubes are you know littering the field, and they set up a, a, a makeshift stage for coach Beamer to stand up there with a microphone and address the crowd. And the, and the realization is dawning on everyone that the Hokies are going to new Orleans and they're going to compete for the national championship. Just that as you were down on the sideline, witnessing all that, that was pretty remarkable. And we will end it with that. David Teal, as I said earlier, I appreciate all of your work. You've been uh, incredible. I appreciate your time today. If any of you are looking to follow his incredible work, follow him on Twitter at by David Teal, and you can find his work on the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. David Teal, I hope you have a fantastic fall. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll talk to you again really soon. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I hope I didn't bore you to death. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Same time Thank next you week. so much. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> it's time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all that she 
Take a hit, it's time.